The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for joining me today. You know, we've mentioned on the show, oh, you know, fairly regularly, and I think those of us within the museum industry uh, will acknowledge that we tend to be a tad insular. And uh, while I think it has been wonderful and I have truly enjoyed uh, being able to showcase on this show many within our museum community, uh, I think it is important for the show also to help break down some of those uh, silos that we have. And I am thrilled then today to be able to do that. Several months ago, I attended... uh, an amazing conference. It was amazing in so many ways. One, it was held in uh, Baltimore uh, this fall after Baltimore has come through a very stressful period of, uh, of unrest and sadness uh, with the racial issues and tensions that continue to uh, be brought up and brought to our attention. But also the conference I was attending was called Imagining America. And so, and it was, it was fabulous. And it, it uh, gave me an opportunity to see parts of the city and meet people who are doing fabulous things in and around Baltimore and, and throughout the state of Maryland through the university system that I never would have been aware of. And so it is with my pleasure that I am bringing to you today the two organizers of this fabulous conference. I think that they will share a new uh, perspective on some of the same issues that we in the museum uh, community are facing. And also, I hope uh, to all of you listening out there, this will intrigue you enough that you will participate in next year's conference. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Scott Peters, who is a professor at the Department of Developmental Sociology at Cornell University, and Timothy Eaton, who is a faculty member in the Higher Education Department in the School of Education at Syracuse University. Gentlemen, welcome both of you to the show today. Delighted. Thank Um, you. Great to be here. 
Scott, I would like to uh, start with you, and then uh, Tim, I will follow up asking you the same question, just so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. If you would be kind enough, uh, Scott, to share your career trajectory, and particularly, I'm always interested in what has influenced your career the most. Sure, I'd be delighted to do that. Uh, and just to just to be clear, also uh, Tim and I are both the uh, faculty co-directors of Imagining America, uh, something that we uh, took up in August of 2012. So I was born in a very small town in Illinois, and uh, my parents came through the Depression on farms, and uh, that certainly has been an influence on my life uh, that I continue to draw on their stories and, and their uh, strengths. But I was originally a musician, um, the classic uh, garage band type growing up. <clears throat> Went to college uh, at the University of Illinois, but was mostly there uh, interested in continuing to be a musician, was in several bands, made a few records, retrofitted a house with a recording studio. But then I got uh, increasingly uh, pulled into community work and um all the political issues that were happening, this was in the early 1980s, were, were, were um, a big draw for me. I came into political work through an interest in uh, the food system, and uh, the sustainable agriculture was something that was just emerging at that time, kind of connected to my roots, back to my parents. Um, so that trajectory uh, plunged me into 10 years of community organizing and development work, and uh, after doing that for 10 years, I, I went to do a Ph.D. with Harry Boyd at the University of Minnesota, uh, who uh, has a phenomenal body of work that he's uh, done many books. Um, he's been a huge influence to me as a democratic theorist and historian who is committed to retrieving a kind of democratic uh, populism politics, uh, not just historically, but uh, in our time. Uh, that led me to uh, get a faculty position at Cornell University, uh, where I, I spent have, have been since uh, 1999. And in, in my work at Cornell, I was trained as a historian, and as a uh, political theorist at the University of Minnesota, but at Cornell I discovered uh, oral histories. Uh, and I started uh, through a colleague of mine named John Forrester, who's a professor of city and regional planning. That really literally transformed my life, uh, and I totally fell in love with um, stories and narrative and the ways that people make sense of their lives through telling stories. And, and stories as avenues into dimensions of, of history and culture that we often don't um, experience in our kind of Hollywood-centric uh, um communications world. Um, so that trajectory connected me eventually with Imagining America, um, which I was delighted to discover because here were these fabulous, wonderful people from community arts and cultural organizations and from colleges and universities across the country who were uh, working from what we call the cultural disciplines, the arts and humanities and design fields, uh, to enliven our democratic life and to and to have lives as civic uh, agents. Uh, I was just so delighted to discover them, and so many of them, uh, at the top of the list would be uh, my colleague here, Dr. Timothy Eatman, as a huge influence on me, has, has really helped to uh, shape my sense of what, what's possible uh, 
not just in terms of being a scholar, but in, in being an awake and alive citizen here in the 21st century. That's fabulous. Scott, thank you so very much, and what a wonderful segue uh, to uh, Timothy Eaton. Uh, could you share with us uh, answers to the same question? I'd be delighted to, and it just feels so comfortable to be coming alongside my friend and brother, um, um, Dr. Scott Teeters, um, who um, has just really um, been, been an important influence in my life and, and thought partner uh, as we have increasingly worked uh, more closely together, <clears throat> especially in the context of Imagining America. One thing I do want to say is that at the outset, um, it was mentioned that Scott and I were organizers of the conference, and we'll take some of that, but we can't take much of it. Uh, we would be uh, remiss not to mention that our associate director, Dr. Kevin Bott, is really, um, you know, the uh, the spearhead and um, lead agent in our um, uh, consortium on the, the conference, which I'm I'm so delighted uh, that. You know, you, you mentioned that you um, had a wonderful experience. I think it was our best ever. I'm from Harlem, New York. Uh, my parents both uh, were born there, 148th Street, uh, between 7th and 8th. Uh, I grew up uh, between there and Queens, New York, where they, uh, they bought a home um, in, the, in the early um, 70s, uh, but still uh, maintained their connection to the Harlem, New York uh, community in a very intense way. Um, probably was uh, in the city, um, you know, at least three or four times a week, especially because our lives revolved a lot around ministries. So, uh, uh, my dad is an educator. Um, he and mom both um, he built their careers uh, in, in education, but uh, had been involved um, at least equally in uh, the life of the Spirit through um, through um, through churches. And so... Um, when we went to the seminary after he had gone to graduate school uh, and was called to a church, they began um, a school at the church in 1982. Uh, Mount Pleasant Christian Academy was established. I mention that because it's very, very important to my own uh, career trajectory. I was one of five students in the graduating class at Imagine America, excuse me, at Mount Pleasant Christian Academy um, in 1986, having done my high school um, um, degree there. But it really was uh, my first real up close look at community engaged work, um, and and really um, to put a, a sharp emphasis on healing in the community because. We're talking not only about the life of the mind and the body, but the life of the spirit. And um, that, that was a tremendous influence uh, on me. Um, the, my first interpretation of that influence, though, was that I should run away from it. So <laughs> uh, as, as, a, as a musician, uh, uh, also, um, as I mentioned, he's a musician, I decided to take um, my um, you know, first major as uh, the, the same major that my favorite songwriter at the time, Joe's, which was economics, and run away from education, which is really crazy. I soon learned that that was uh, not uh, what would be best for me, and that, uh, um, you know, getting a degree in education, uh, Pace University, and then going on to Howard University in Washington, D.C. to continue that emphasis, and then doing a doctorate at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, 
um, as an educational sociologist and with emphasis on um, uh, educational equity, social um, equity in higher education uh, was the best fit for me. Uh, the next step after my um, doctoral work in, in Urbana was uh, the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. That is where I learned about imagining America, artists and scholars in public life. I had the good fortune to Julie Ellison, the founding director there at Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she told me about she told me how important it was that the network of publicly engaged scholars and artists, uh, designers, uh, professors in ethnic studies and history and English and art and design were catalyzing a community, a national community, where their work could be affirmed um, and that the consortium wanted to deepen that work by focusing on the issue of faculty rewards. She invited me into a conversation that led to my appointment as the first director of research for the consortium and a project called the Tenure Team Initiative on Public Scholarship that um, we have um, really been excited about in terms of its contributions to higher education and the, the focus on how we reward the work of publicly engaged scholars. So I, I think I, I want to stop um, there, uh, Scott has already mentioned that we're faculty co-directors that came uh, sometime later after the initial work with um, the, the, um, the as director of research for the consortium, but I think that may give you a flavor of my trajectory. That's wonderful, Tim, and, and actually it uh, provides a great segue into my next question. You've, you've answered it a bit in uh, identifying... Um, uh, what was the name again of, of the woman at uh, Ann Arbor who actually Julie was... Julie Ellison. Uh-huh. Julie, Julie Ellison uh, creating the Imagining yeah. American Network. Um, perhaps one of you can, uh, just re- remembering that much of our audience are, are museum professionals and, and not all of us are involved in higher education, could you help us understand what you mean by the uh, reward system? Sure. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I'm glad to jump in, and, and Scott, you know, I, I know you have got to say about this as well. Uh, the ivory tower is a strange place, <laughs> right? And uh, one of the things that makes it strange is that there's a, a really a privileged position that faculty can hold, which is a, a, a position of continuous employment, right? Which um, really doesn't mean you cannot be fired, but it's really difficult. Uh, after tenure is achieved. Um, the challenge that we have uh, uh, discerned within uh, the, uh, the ac- uh, academe and the ivory tower mentality is that uh, the path to that reward system uh, is really embedded in, you know, what I often call, a, 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 you know, the ivory tower um, academy mindset, which is very traditional. Only certain knowledge counts as knowledge. When we know that the continuum of knowledge is much broader and much more diverse um, than than that, and and that knowledge is is um, um, it does not live at the university, and and that um, we we really need to honor community based knowledge. And so our work on the tenure team initiative was really trying to draw that out. Uh, Scott, I don't. I'd love to invite you to to expound um, or, or connect. Sure. To those points. I I think you know part of what 
uh, and, and Tim should tell this because he, he's been with Imagine America longer than me, but the, the story of how and why Imagine America was created is um, mm-hmm. quite linked to this conversation about rewards. And, and I would just say that, um, you know, there's a, one of the oldest questions that have to do with, has to do with uh, what are often referred to as intellectuals or scientists, scholars, is, is what is their role in civic life? What's their role in public life? That's been a, a source of a lot of debate over many centuries. And uh, by the late 20th century, there had been this, this um, agitation around higher education's disengagement from communities. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of problems that were becoming more and more urgent. Um, that were sort of piling up in and, and a lot of sense that, that higher education was, was absent. Um, so there's, there was a whole uh, process, and it wasn't the first time that this had ever happened in history in the, in the U.S. or in other countries, but there was a process of a kind of reawakening and, and agitation in higher ed. And Imagine America was, was shaped out of that um, so linking linking to the rewards piece of this, um, you know, one way to think about uh, this conversation has to do with um, uh, trying to open up how we understand uh, the work that counts in the academic world and right. um, trying to open that up so that we can talk about work that also counts for the public world and, and for communities and not just for academic fields and disciplines. And, you know, in that context... Um, there's been a lot of work that uh, has been done and is still being done to try to change these institutions and, and, and not just the institutions, but change society's understanding of scholars and higher education. Not as you know, not just people who are isolating themselves in ivory towers, but people who have um, mm-hmm. their own aspirations uh, as as civic actors and agents, um, as creative people that want to want to be making a difference in the world and. Um, you know, when we think about uh, rewards, we should be thinking about, um, you know, the the thing that Tim has spent uh, a lot of time looking at in his own work, and that is the, the aspirations of scholars and people in these cultural disciplines. They're not just to yeah. get this wonderful, secure job. Uh, you know, they have aspirations as human beings and, and as um citizens, civic, civic actors as well. So I think it would be good to to um, uh, Tim, for you to, to share some yeah. things about yeah. how Imagine America was shaped at, out of all of this. Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you very much. That that will be great. But let's take a break uh, so that Tim, when we come back, you can share your story uninterrupted. Uh, I yeah, the Imagine I think, America story. Great. Yes, yes. So we will be back in one moment. Please stay tuned. There's so much more to talk about with these very intelligent, committed, and thoughtful uh, co-faculty, co-director faculty of Imagining America. So please stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. 
Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and today I am talking with Scott Peters and Timothy Eatman, uh, both university uh, professors uh, in higher education, and they are also the faculty co-directors of an organization called Imagining America. And right before break, uh, we were just teed up. Timothy was going to give us the narrative of uh, Imagining America. So, Tim, if you could do that, that would be wonderful. I'd be be glad to do so. Uh, Scott really has been a great influence upon um, me to to help me as a (laughs) quantitative-oriented scholar um, really understand the, the richness and maturity that comes out of things like public narrative and, and that work. And so the story of Imagining America, um, you know, is, is one that uh, I have taken greater interest in, you know, just being able to relay because it's so important um, to the current um, work that, that we're involved in. And um, I'm reminded, Scott, of, of, uh, your, of you know, your directing me to, to Marshall Gantz's work on the story of self, the 
story of us and the story of now. And so it's interesting that even in this interview, we've talked about ourselves, and, and now we'll, we'll talk about us in the context of Imagining America. The White House Millennium Council in 1999 was assigned uh, into an executive order by uh, President Bill, Bill Clinton. Um, that Millennium Council was designed to um, celebrate the advancements and important moments of the 20th century and project to the 21st century. The only higher education-focused project that was part of that White House Millennium Council was Imagining America. It was 19 university presidents, really led by Lee Bollinger uh, at the University of Michigan, who were committed to uh, affirming the power of the arts, of design, of the humanities um, as part of the vision of the work of their institutions, um, um, even in a neoliberal technocratic uh, environment. Um, and, and we know that universities are being corporatized in, in, in many different ways. And holding on to the power of humanities, of art and design, was something that these presidents were committed to. Of course, we know that they are uh, very um, busy, uh, and um, you can be clear that there was a uh, there were a whole cadre of other organizers that were working to provide the kind of, of um, program and, and rhythm to the the organizing work uh, to get Imagining America active within that White House Millennium Council. Among them. And probably the harbinger, um, she's been named already, uh, Dr. Julie Ellison, a professor at the uh, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Um, Julie, um, you know, worked feverishly and was uh, involved in the White House conference. Um, David Scobie also was a part of that uh, initial, um, you know, um, uh, convening. Uh, uh, Chancellor Nancy Cantor, who was then the provost at um, um, at Michigan, uh, and she's now um, Chancellor and President at Rutgers Newark, but she was also uh, very much involved in, in that initial work, uh, which manifested in part as a YOHA, a Year of Humanities and Art. There were demonstrations among the then 20 or 19 college campuses uh, around the power of the uh, arts, humanities, and design uh, in, 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 in the, the campus vision and work, and um, it was determined that that work should continue after the Yoha. And so um, there was uh, established um, the headquarters of the consortium at the University of Michigan. It was done in partnership with the White House Millennium Council and also the Woodrow Wilson Scholars Foundation. Bob Weisbuck, one of the members of our President's Council, was then um, president of the Woodrow Wilson Scholars um, Foundation. And so for the first seven years, Imagining America was headquartered at uh, the University of Michigan. The annual conference that Carol just mentioned was really the main work of the first uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, the, the first time or the first period of the consortium. Uh, annually, scholars um, across the disciplines, but mostly in the humanities, arts, and design, would come and share their work, uh, have it critiqued and affirmed, um, and and. Um, and, and that really became something that uh, was a kind of a community-building effort, a national community-building effort. Uh, the National Advisory Board uh, determined that the headquarters uh, to uh, affect its, its you know, sort of best work should be itinerant, and so it should build as it grows. Um, the first five, seven years were at Michigan. The second um, 
10-year period, it will be in 2017, has been at Syracuse University. And in fact, we are now in a mode of uh, looking at uh, proposals for the next host partner institution. And so uh, it really is a kind of an organizing strategy that has developed to take uh, the culture disciplines um, forward and, and manifest the, the priorities and possibilities of them, um, you know, as the consortium grows. I would, I would invite uh, Scott to say just a, a bit more about the organizing strategy that we're using and, and how the story of now with respect to the uh, consortiums pivots so much upon uh, that organizing uh, work uh, and, and, and efforts. Well, I can say that um, the, uh, the, the central work of Imagine America and what animated it out of the uh, White House Millennial Council was the big project that we all share in uh, which is the project of building a democratic culture, making a making a vibrant, strong, um, resilient uh, democracy in the 21st century. And um, you know, the, the world we live in now is is uh, quite uh, strongly focused on STEM fields, uh, science and technology and engineering and math. And of course, those things are enormously important for our ability to address things like climate change and, um, you know, some of the other uh, energy and, and uh, technical challenges we face. But, uh, you know, the world is, is full of cultures that aren't getting along so well <laughs> at the mm -hmm. moment, and uh, both in the U.S. and in our own country and, and across uh, the world. Um, and, and the cultural, what we call the cultural disciplines, arts, humanities, and design, are just absolutely essential to the ability of for us uh, as a planet, really, as a people, to um, to deal with the kinds of challenges we face. But on the positive side, to to be able to reach and, and fulfill the aspirations we have as people. Um, so, uh, Imagine America's work is really about uh, finding leaders who are already setting about the work of, mm -hmm. um, you know, building a, a, a vital democratic culture, um, of uh, bring, helping bring people together across lines of difference in our neighborhoods and communities and, and beyond. So uh, those people are in cultural organizations. Uh, Carol Bebel, who is a member of our National Advisory Board, is the founding uh, founder and director of the Ashe uh, Cultural Center in New Orleans. She's a phenomenal leader, um, but there are leaders in higher education. Uh, our our co-vice chairs of our national advisory board are Jack Chen and Lisa Lee, both of whom actually have deep backgrounds in museum work. Um, mm -hmm. So the organizing strategy is to find these leaders, uh, whether they be students or staff or faculty in the institutions of higher education or whether they be community leaders such as Carol, uh, and, and help them to teach and, and help them to grow their power and influence uh, to transform their own institutions and communities. So we've been setting about that work um, now for as long as Imagine America has, has existed, and the time is only growing more urgent as we see the uh, things happening, not only the things happening in places like Ferguson and Baltimore, uh, but but these uh, recent round of, of student voices being raised yeah. across the country on our campuses about their experiences as uh, students of color, African-American students in particular. Um, 
So, you know, we're focused on a project of helping to, to really awaken the boldness of people in arts, humanities, and design fields, and they're partnering organizations and communities, which include museums. Well, Scott, thank you for bringing that up. I'm, I'm so glad you did. As we have talked before and even right before uh, we started uh, uh, airing this show, that so much of the language that uh, you use to express the issues of, of today as well as the uh, uh, responsibilities of uh, university faculty and others in the arts and humanities are the same is the same vocabulary that uh, we use on this show and, and talking about museums, this idea from, from the, using the word narrative to sense of place, to engagement, and certainly the issues uh, that you have just brought up, uh, uh, the relationship of, of Ferguson. Uh, there is, uh, we've had guests on this show who uh, mm-hmm. uh, talk about um, you know, how museums are responding to Ferguson uh, through, through blogs and other other efforts. It seems to me that there is a very close uh, relationship between um, the museum field and the uh, uh, Imagining America organization. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how Imagining America has been working with uh, with museums and sort of helping uh, bring. Uh, you know, when you're when you're out there by yourself, it's a little lonely. But if you have some friends, perhaps leadership is a little more palatable and and easier to achieve. Do you agree? Sure, Kim. Do you want to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I we have um, a an online open source peer reviewed journal called Public, and in the um, Volume 1, uh, Issue 1, there's an article called The University Museum and Community Engagement. This is co-authored by uh, Dr. Viola Hartsfield-Mendez and then a doctoral uh, student named Megan Tierney. And, you know, I, 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 I point us to that particular article, one, because it may be a resource for um, the listeners, but, but also because I, I think the... Uh, the way that they were able to take up the issue of the civically engaged museum and the evolution, <clears throat> excuse me, of museums from, you know, the initial uh, inception in the European context uh, to something, you know, by the end of the 20th, 20th century, which is, you know, uh, uh, different than just collecting and preserving and, and studying more towards transforming and, and redirecting institutions through a public service orientation. Uh, these co-authors do a wonderful job in that piece uh, to, to emphasize the um, critical uh, potential importance of museums in, in, in that regard. Um, I, I, I don't want to be in disingenuous. Uh, so this is not my particular bailiwick, um, but, but I, I certainly, um, as, as someone who understands the power of of community-engaged institutions and, and recognize that we need other spaces in the community besides museums, besides universities, like, you know, uh, civic organizations and libraries and museums that we need to um, bring a, a greater focus to the potential uses of, of uh, those entities in, in this regard. Uh One of the things that, uh, thank you, uh, Tim, uh, one of the things that strikes me is that uh, universities and museums do share some of the same challenges 
in mm-hmm. that they they uh, they were rooted in an elitism in a uh, in a in a sense of, of exactly privilege. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me, uh, as an outsider to higher education, that uh, the uni- universities have been working very very hard, as have libraries, to uh, break down those barriers and those walls and and to think beyond. Uh, as you say, you know there there isn't just one kind of knowledge or one right. you know that is important. I'm wondering if you could prov- museums uh, un- unfortunately seem to be struggling in this area. Uh, are are there some lessons that museums can learn from uh, higher education to help them in uh, uh, breaking down uh, their walls and becoming more inclusive? Mm-hmm. Scott, do you yeah, want I to mean, take crack? Well, I think there uh, are. You know, um, I I, I would only just quickly say, yes, I I absolutely believe so. I think one of the challenges of our institutions of higher education is that uh, even though the place matters and we know place matters, often the consciousness of our institutions does not um, really focus on the surrounding community. So it's this weird thing where we're in a place but not of the place. I think museums uh, struggle from the same uh, challenge, if you will, and that there are a number of ways uh, to address that. But, Scott, you were going to say something. I was just going to point back to uh, Jack's work with his colleagues in founding the Museum of Chinese in America. I think the story of that museum is very, uh, I think, uh, inspiring and and, um, useful in thinking about this question of, uh, this is a question of, both institutions, both the museum and the university, uh, sort of um, uh, getting better connected with with uh, people in the surrounding communities, and and also opening themselves up to understanding the the uh, sources of knowledge and um, insight that are worthy of uh, of not just being preserved in museums, but worthy of being drawn on as resources. Um, so I, you know, I would encourage people to to look at that story. It's a, it's uh, mm-hmm. nicely presented on their website, the website of the mm-hmm. Museum of Chinese in America, and you know that it it actually was uh, founded as a community organization, community based organization by Jack and uh, uh, Charlie Lay, who were Chinese American artists, and and they they were engaging in this work with with historians and and students. Uh, in New York City, um, a lot of it was was centered on this idea that uh, you know the the wonderful history that uh, people have to tell of Chinese Americans had to tell about their lives and their families was in danger of being lost. Mm-hmm. It, it hadn't been asked for. It hadn't been collected and, and um, documented. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of narrative and, and oral history, so I'm always excited by uh, anybody who wants to take that seriously. But I think that's a wonderful model of um, uh, the ways in which colleges and universities have collaborated with their communities to to de- not just, well, in this case, to actually develop a, a new museum, which is now an amazing showpiece, mm-hmm. leading museum. Um, but if you look at any of our communities across the country, you can imagine how there are all these opportunities to, to work together on these things, um, whether the, whether it's an existing museum in a small community or a city, or whether it's a, a situation like this where there's 
this uh, something new that needs to be created. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of these stories to learn from and be inspired by, and uh, we could go down the list with a whole range of other ones. I just bring Jack's out because I think it's a particularly compelling and, and powerful mm-hmm. uh, example. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. And uh, we're going to go to our second break. But before I do, I want to emphasize that the Imagining America website I have found absolutely fabulous for my own work and practice as a museum practitioner and and as a a consultant in uh, several uh, uh, articles, scholarly works. Timothy brought up one of these as well. And so I I recommend this website highly as a great resource for the museum community and uh, and as well as attending to the uh, conference. Yes. Can I just quickly say, uh, I'm glad that you have found a, res- a resource, and it, it, hopefully it'll be even better, because we're about to uh, do a launch of a newest site in, in a week or so. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, a, a brand-new Fab- redesigned site will be launched uh, any day now. <laughs> okay, fabulous, fabulous. Well, uh, in the meantime, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, more about Imagining America. So please stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. The schizophrenia community faces tough challenges every day. The community includes individuals living with schizophrenia, their partners, parents, children, siblings, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and also their providers of health care and social services. To hear Dr. Gordon Atherley introduce members of the schizophrenia community who are sharing their experiences, tune in to Schizophrenia Community Radio every week. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. The Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel. 
from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier. To your rights as a passenger. To different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver. Airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and I have been having a fabulously informative conversation with Timothy Eatman and Scott Peters, who are the co-faculty directors of Imagining America, a fabulous organization that looks at the public responsibility of in the cultural sector. And so, gentlemen, we have so much more that we could talk about this uh, this today, but I would like um, to talk about an issue that uh, has come up several times on this show. I have, uh, listeners will know that, that I have interviewed the uh, Museum Worker Speak uh, coordinators and this movement uh, born out of the uh, a meeting at the American Alliance of Museums uh, last spring has now evolved into local chapters throughout the country, uh, primarily focusing on the issues faced by emerging museum professionals and um, so one of the the interesting things in the museum community Scott and Timothy is is that uh, there has been a proliferation of museum studies programs in the past few mm-hmm. years uh, I think on one end that may um, uh, represent a professionalization and a commitment uh, within the museum com- uh, uh, industry but uh, Many of these young people who are working through their masters uh, in museum studies are graduating to find a very, a very, very dim um, a mm-hmm. job uh, market. And so I'm just wondering, because you are both in higher education and and also ha- are are committed to uh, to public uh, engagement and response, um, how? How would you, um, you know, put into context for us these uh, this kind of um, professionalization and sort of the museum studies vacation of our community? And uh, what uh, what thoughts might you have for these emerging museum professionals? One of the things that I would just jump out and say is that on our in our effort to look at faculty roles and rewards, um, we have. Um, become very clear that uh, tenure is um, uh, increasingly rare at our institutions of higher education. So, you know, less than a quarter of all full-time faculty on average at campuses are uh, tenure track. So what does that have to do with this professionalization issue that you mentioned? Well, um, students are getting, you know, their uh, terminal degrees um, and 
they're not finding options, um, you know, for tenure track positions at the institution. So the, the, the challenge is similar uh, to the one that you mentioned. Um, what we have tried to do in Imagining America is, is to wrap our minds around that challenge. So our work uh, building on the Tenure Team Initiative on Public Scholarship has expanded to a study on the aspirations and decisions of graduate students and early career publicly engaged scholars. First of all, Cal, we realize we don't even know who these people are, right? I mean, what, what, do, what speaks to them? What is, how does how's their knowledge-making manifest? What are the artifacts that they work uh, on? What are their desires and dreams about their own career trajectories? So we, um, you know, set in motion uh, an opportunity to um, do both, uh, you know, do some mixed methods research to uh, survey and also have some structured interviews to hear the voices of these um, young, emerging, publicly engaged scholars, some uh, who, who are interested in museums' work, uh, to get a sense about what uh, options they um, uh, desire for career, uh, career pathways and, you know, uh, what the implications of, of that knowledge is for, you know, how we uh, modify graduate programs, how, how um, institutions think about contingent, of, um, you know, um, employees who are doing um, you know, uh, instructor work and the like. So I just wanted to name the fact that the um, the issues are very uh, similar with respect to uh, the, the specific issue around uh, professionalization in the museum realm that you mentioned. That's very interesting. Is just to follow up is so this is a survey that you have done or are in the process of doing. Oh my! No, it's a it's a body of of, of research that uh, it's a survey and um, uh, structured interviews, and and we have actually developed some uh, hypothetical profiles of publicly engaged scholars. We have seven of them right now, and we've been presenting on them uh, and writing about them. So I'd be glad to share some um, some of the developing research with you about that. But I think the issue is the same, right? Who are these people? You know, what do they need? How can universe, uh, museums modify, be modified to uh, provide career pathways for them that speak to those needs? Um, and what other community sectors, um, you know, um, might we be collaborating with so that uh, these uh, these citizens uh, are finding use for their um, you know, studied gifts uh, and talents and, and the like? Thank you. Uh, That's fabulous. I, Scott, yes, please jump in here. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one thing to, to raise in this, and, and Tim mentioned that his, his research, we are, our publicly active graduate education program, PAGE mm. program, mm-hmm. uh, is a, uh, a sign of our commitment to the next generation of uh, scholars and um, to supporting them, particularly those who are interested in being deeply engaged in, in the their communities and public as scholars. Uh, and what we've learned, of course, from all of that is, is that, uh, you know, this, this generation is not just interested in, in just plugging into the institutions the way they are. That's They're interested right. in changing yeah. these institutions. That's right. They're interested mm-hmm. in changing um, the whole idea of what, what the work is of, of being right. a scholar, how we understand what that work is. So Tim's research is giving us a window into that, which is very important. Then I would certainly want to connect this to the the people that you mentioned who go through museum studies programs and and face both a challenging. They don't just face a challenging job market. I I would be willing to bet they face a set of 
opportunities that don't offer a way to fulfill what they want to be and do as a museum mm-hmm. professional. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the, the issue isn't just one of there aren't enough jobs. I think the issue is really one of how do we help people who have really amazing imaginations? Uh, yes. How do we help them? How do we help them nurture and develop that those ideas of of whole new ways of 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 both being a scholar, doing higher education, and in the museum sector of of how to develop and and uh, organize and and uh, you know run a museum. We have an example in in Imagine America that is, is I think a really uh, compelling one. Uh, on this, um, a few years ago, somebody wrote a book called uh, Tim. You've used this, so I think I get the title right. Do it yourself, education. Do it yourself, higher education. Yes, uh-huh. like on your comments, mm-hmm. and we have uh, one of our Page fellows, uh, named, named a man named Adam Bush, um, was one of these people who, you know, is going through higher education and, and really wanting to work in higher education, but not just to plug into some institution. So he's actually, uh, with many colleagues, uh, founded something called College Unbound, which Tim can tell you a lot more about than I can. But it's a, it's a totally out-of-the-box and a completely different kind of way of thinking about higher education that represents uh, the imagination of this younger generation that is, is not just looking at a bad job market, but looking at a set of institutions that, that they feel don't, don't help them to, to uh, uh, fulfill and pursue their own aspirations. Kim, I don't know if you wanted to well, say something else about that, no, but no, it well, feels like that's a good yes. parallel to the museum world. Yeah, it, it really is, and that's, that's very well said. I, I just think that the larger question is around the cultural shifts needed for us to think about um, and act on the, the evolution of professionalization in these fields. A museum is no different than the challenges we're seeing in the humanities and other fields. And to your point, Scott, there are young, um, whether they're physically young or young in mind, publicly engaged scholars who want to change those conversations and to change those cultures. We're trying to do that through the national network, the consortium um, Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, through our uh, cultural organizing institutes where we gather teams of institutions together to, to share different approaches to actually you know, making change on their campuses, using organizing principles that pivot and draw upon the cultural disciplines, the public narrative and, and other um, you know, broad-based community organizing strategies. And, and we think it's critical to do that at this time in higher education. Well, thank you both uh, so, so much. It does seem that there are so many parallels uh, between uh, the issues that museums are facing and others. And more importantly, what you have, have uh, demonstrated to me uh, uh, today, uh, as, uh, as was demonstrated to me when I attended the conference in Baltimore, is that your work uh, being rooted in uh, uh, sociology, psychology, uh, civic engagement, uh, it gives us a broader uh, context and a stronger vocabulary for the museum community to be dealing mm. with these issues. And once again, reminding us that we aren't just out there on an iceberg by ourselves thinking right. about these things, is that we have many, many colleagues. Uh, 
to uh, to assist us in in these areas. I would also mention you, uh, uh, Scott. You had said there there is such a emphasis on STEM, and while that is true, uh, and uh, not to the detriment of the humanities. I think uh, that the museums are a place where we can create those connections for our society mm-hmm. between the uh, the humanities and the science and technology fields, uh, and and uh, museums of all types can benefit mm-hmm. by participating in imagining America. We are almost at the end of our show, but uh, one of you, would you like to share with us? Do you know where the conference will be next year? Mm-hmm. And yes, it will we be. Do. <laughs> Where will it be? University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and the date of uh, October um, five through seven is what I believe is right. Isn't that right, Scott? Yes. Well, yes. I am. I'm Sarah, can I just? To... Yes, please. I just wanted to say quickly. Um, Scott mentioned our theory of change. We are looking uh, in the spirit of Ella Baker for leaders and ways to use our national platform to have their uh, work and models reverberate. Um, we'd like to challenge your listeners, you know, as museum studies professionals, to interface with us, start affinity groups, uh, help us think about how we can connect more meaningfully to this work, and, and um, you know, see how we can connect and partner up. Fabulous. Uh, and with that, we are going to close. I uh recommend uh, looking at Imagining America and becoming involved in taking up that leadership challenge. Thank you both, Scott and Timothy, for being on the show today, and we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Until then, this is Carol Bossert. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.